Today we are ending our Answers End Game series. We've talked about some incredible things, and basically we're talking about the afterlife, okay? We're asking tough questions like, what happens when you die? Do you just cease to exist? Or is there an afterlife? Is there a heaven? And how do I get to go there? And some of these questions can kind of, you know, be uncomfortable because nobody, you know, likes to talk about death. It's like, oh, when I die, I can't really finish that sentence because, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. But we're curious about the afterlife. We are interested in what happens because it impacts all of us, doesn't it? And so we want to know things about heaven and hell. And so we've, we've tackled some of these questions here, and it's been incredible. Uh, some of you have just told us how much you've been learning about, uh, you know, heaven and hell and, and, you know, just the afterlife. And a lot of you have grown up in church, and you're saying things like, man, I've never heard that before. Or some of the stuff that we're talking about from Scripture is, is maybe even challenging some of the stuff that you've heard growing up, and you're just thinking, I never thought of it like that, or I've never, uh, you know, heard that before. And so we've really tried to just kind of maybe ease some worry or anxiety that when you think about life's end game. And what we really want to do today is, is, again, focus in on this statement that we've surrounded this whole series around, which is this. What we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. What we think about eternity impacts how we live today. So if you believe that there is no God, therefore there is no eternity. And that means that there's really no accountability. And that means that in this life, this is all the time that you have. You spend every ounce for yourself. You're trying to squeeze every ounce of life that you can to accumulate whatever you can in this life. But if you believe that there is a God, and that he did create us, and that he did love us, love us that means that there is an eternity. That means that we do have accountability, that we will be held accountable for the things that we do in our time on this earth. And so our, our mindset and our focus is going to be outward focus, that we're going to be serving a little bit. We're going to be giving back. We're going to be doing everything that we can to further the kingdom of God. And so we're talking about a couple different places here because uh, we believe that the Bible teaches there's one of two places that um, you can go in the afterlife. And last week, Scott literally tried to scare the hell out of a lot of you, okay? He talked about hell. I didn't just cuss. It's fine, okay? So this week, what we're going to do is we're going to change zip codes and we're going to talk about heaven. And I get to talk about it. So that's exciting. I don't have to talk about hell. Thanks, Scott. Um, but... Heaven, you know, there's a lot of questions surrounding heaven. Like, what is it like? Are we all just going to be in, in togas and harps and on clouds and just, just playing for it? No. That is, I don't know who came up with that idea, but it is so off of what we're talking about today. And so the first question that we want to ask about heaven is this. Well, what's so great about heaven? What's so great about heaven? And I think the obvious first answer to that is, well, it's not hell. So that's, that's got to be pretty great, right? But I think since the fall of man, since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden and this thing called sin entered the equation, we've got this crazy idea that life is all about us. And so we ask this question, or we've thought about this question, because we don't truly understand what, what could be great about it. Because again, we're just focused on ourselves, right? We, we think, well, when I have needs, I go to God and he answers them for me. Jesus died for me. He forgave my sins. And what is Jesus doing now? He's spending his time getting my mansion ready in heaven. He's picking out the, the 
curtains and the color schemes and make sure that it is good for me. But let me tell you something about heaven, okay? This is, this is a little information that you could really impress your friends with tomorrow at work, okay? Heaven and eternity, this is, is going to blow your mind, it's about God. Take that. That's free, okay? It is about God. Heaven and eternity is a celebration of His character. It lifts Him up. It puts Him on the pedestal. It worships Him. It is all about God. And when we, when we want to learn about what's so great about heaven, we need, to, we need to see, okay, well, who's seen it? Who's been there? And there's three guys that we're going to talk about who have actually seen heaven and come back to talk about it. First, obviously, is Jesus. He was there when it was created. He came to earth, told us a little bit about it, and then ascended back up into heaven. The second guy is the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I've seen it, and the things in this place are inexpressible. Means that there are no words to describe it. There's no pastor who can explain it to you. There are no sermons that can really lay out. It is inexpressible and wonderful, the things that I saw. And then you got the third guy, John, who says, you know what, hold my hummus. I'm going to write a whole book about this place, okay? And he wrote this book called Revelation, where he lays out in detail what heaven looks like. Because God showed him very detailed description of this place called heaven. And here's how he starts it out. This is in Revelation 21. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, real quick, we will not spend eternity in this new heaven. Okay, that's for God. We will spend eternity on the new earth. Now, again, God, when he created the world, when sin was introduced, we became separated from God. And Jesus, being fully God and fully man, is the bridge of that gap. He links us back to heaven and earth. And so forever, this unstoppable plan of God is to have this connection between heaven and earth. And the cool thing about this new earth is we get like these little foreshadows of what it's going to be like. Think about everything you love about this earth. Places that you like to visit with beautiful scenery, culture, art, even certain people groups. You're just like, man, this is incredible. This is just a preview, a sneak peek of what the real or the new earth is going to be like. Things that we get to experience, things that we get to, to hear, smell, and enjoy and taste. This is, it's like taking a, a lick of, from the spoon of the chocolate batter that mom just made for the cake that's going to be ready in an hour. We're getting a small preview of everything that we love that this new earth is going to have. And he keeps going. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. Think about that. There's no huge body of water. Now, currently in 2019, there are billions and billions of people living on this planet, on, on the land part. And we're not even occupying all of the land. Now, what, are, what is two-thirds of our earth? It's water. Now think about it. You get rid of that, you have all this space now for billions and billions of people so many times, you know, I, in my life, I know I thought maybe you thought this too. Like, man, heaven sounds like it's going to be crowded. It's like we're all looking here like, hey, man, welcome to heaven. It's cool. Yeah, come on. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. There's going to be plenty of space. It's not like God's up there saying, oh, man, a lot of them are giving their lives to me. I might need to rethink this whole thing. No. He knows who's going to be there. And that's who he's made it for. It is going to be spacious. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God 
out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, how many husbands we got in the room? Yeah? Good. Welcome. Happy Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> to your wife, hello. We kind of know what this moment's going to look like. Because we've all been at the front of the altar or whatever you, place you got married in, and we're sitting there with our uncomfortable tux on or our suit, and we're sweating a little bit because we don't know if she's booked it or if she's actually going to you know, walk down the aisle. And so we're up there, but, but we kind of know because what's going on behind the scenes is that the bride is b- being very detailed on how she's getting ready with her dress, her veil, her makeup is perfect, all for this glorious moment where she and the doors open, and you hear the bump, 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 and then what happens? Everybody rises, and they look back, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, she's so beautiful, <laughs> right? And then you kind of look back, and the guy up front has kind of got like this weird grin on his face, and, you know, he might be crying or whatever. Why? Because it's just this incredible, glorious moment where the bride is being presented to her husband, and this is what it's going to be like when God presents this city, this new earth, to us, and we are just going to be in awe. We are going to be just fascinated with what he is bringing down. And it is, he keeps going. Watch, watch, watch. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will, this is great. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All things are gone. Now think about it. Think about this, this city that he's brought down. And now it's a city, okay? And we, we think, like, listen, I'm from Nacogdoches, and there's like a Chili's and a pasture, and that's about it. So when I moved to Houston, like my, when we were going downtown, my eyes were just, she was like, oh my gosh, this is so big. You know, and I see all the sights and all the people and all the restaurants. Thank God for the restaurants. And, you know, there's just so much that's happening. And so you think about this city, there's going to be so much going on in this city. It's not just this huge void where we're just kind of floating around going, hey, how are you today? No, it's a city. So there's activities, there's people, there's art, there's music. So much is going on in this city. And here's the best part, is that it's new. It is brand new. And there's no death, there's no crying. And it's hard for us to think about that because, again, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, sin was introduced into the equation. And so we just think that death and pain and sorrow are part of life. But that's not how God intended it. Because when he made earth originally, he made it heavenly. It was perfect. There was no death. There was no pain. It was heavenly. But now we have sin, and it's completely disrupted that. And this whole concept of new to us, things get old, don't they? I mean, we have that statement, life happens for a reason. Because we get something new, maybe we get a new car, and this car is great, it's got that new car smell. But what happens? It gets old. And a lot of you in the room are like, I hate my old car, I'm ready for something new. But at one point it was new, right? Or what about, you know, our spouses? That wedding day might have been a long time ago. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but they're older now. Our kids, think about our little, our little babies. Mamas, think about your little babies when they just sat there in their little crib and just blew spit bubbles at you. They got older, didn't they? 
And they start breaking stuff. And they start talking back with some sass. And they might even start moving their head like this. And you're like, what is that? A neck exercise? Be quiet. <laughs> they get older. And they start talking back. Think about our house. Maybe you just got a new house. And now it's been flooded two times in the past two years. Houston, what's happening to our city? It's always underwater, but it's old now. You've got to, to clean the walls and just it's, you're ready to move. It was funny, I just had a conversation with Chris Estes, our, our media director, before uh, this service. And, you know, he had taken his daughter to some, some cheer and dance competitions, and it was at Disney World. Like, wow. And somebody asked him, like, well, how, was it good? He was like, yeah, I was ready to come home, though. It's Disney World, heaven on earth. But again, that gets old. Mickey is like, okay, okay, it's magical. I'm ready to go home, okay? I'm tired of you taking my money. But again, things get old, and we always want these new thrills, don't we? We want the, something new, but the new thrills of last week are now old, and we need, need something new. That's because we're living under the curse of sin. And the great thing about this new earth is that it's always new. We're always going to get to experience that newness every moment of every day. And we are literally going to be walking around every day looking at each other like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Just completely amazed all the time. What's so great about heaven is that it's got that new car smell all the time. It's always new. We will never get bored and we will never feel distant with God. How many times did he say, God's going to be with him? Oh, by the way, God's going to live with his people. Oh, by the way, God's going to be with his children. So we'll never feel lonely or disconnected from God. We're going to be there with him. So the next question is this. All right, that's great. Well, who gets to go there? Who gets to experience this heaven? And he keeps going in Revelation. It says, and he also said... It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega to the beginning or the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. To all who are thirsty, meaning people who have tried to find satisfaction and fulfillment from things in this world, whether it's chasing careers or, or cars or clothes or whatever that might be. But they found, you know what? I just feel hollow inside. And I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Because he's the one who actually gives me life. And you never have to be thirsty. And he says, Although all who are victorious will inherit all of these blessings. What he means there is that your, your lifestyle matches your belief. That when people look at your life, they know that something's different about you. You're now, you know, you're, you're looking more like this, this love, this joy, this peace, patience, kindness, all these fruits of the Spirit that line up with how Jesus lived his life. And you're not just saying, yeah, I go to church, I'm a Christian. But man, your life looks like it. And then he keeps going. He says, but, this is a bad but, y'all, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and just in case he missed yours, all the liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is a second death. He says, listen, you might say, that you're a Christian, but your life doesn't look like it. It matches up more with, with people who hate, people who are incapable of love, who lie their way, and you are not, in fact, going to this party because you haven't surrendered to the ultimate party guy, Jesus. He says, who gets to go there? Those who have surrendered their life to Jesus. Next question. That's great. Who gets to go there? 
It's going to be great. What was, what's it going to look like? Because we want to know, again, you know, we have our idea of, of this heavenly place. And again, you know, it's little chubby babies and with wings, you know, flying around with harps. That's not it at all. John goes into great detail. In fact, he says that this place, is go, this city that, that he's talking about is going to be 1,400 miles long. That's half the width of the United States. But it's also going to be 1,400 miles high. So you've got this huge high rise that is insanely big. There's all this room. It's not just a slab, but it goes all the way up. And he describes it. He says that his, the wall is 72 yards thick. It's a huge wall, okay? <laughs> Relax. It's okay. You can laugh at that. But it is going to be this incredible structure, this place that is just completely massive, and it's got plenty plenty of room. So what's it going to look like? We kind of know the structure. The wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. The 12 gates represents the 12 tribes of Israel, and the 12 gates represents the New Testament saints. Saints. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. And the great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. It's, it's so pure, and it's so polished that you can see right through it. Now, why? Why do we need all these jewels? Because it's being built for royalty. If we are sons and daughters of the kings of, of, king of kings, Jesus, this is being built for royalty. You don't see the Queen of England going into her single-bedroom apartment no, she's got a couple palaces that are pretty sweet, just decorated to the max. Now, here's, this is probably my favorite part about the new earth, okay? Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street, and on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with fresh crop month. There's going to be food in heaven. Yeah! I know y'all like to eat, okay? And I know you're looking at them going, yeah, but it's fruit. Have you ever had Jesus fruit? I bet it's delicious. <laughs> you are not going to get tired of this delicious Jesus fruit. It is going to be incredible. So everything is decorated to the max. We're going to have this incredible food and everything is just clear. And y'all, this is your home. Jesus says in John 14 too, he says, I'm going to a my father's house to prepare a place for you, a place with many rooms. He's getting your apartment ready. And think about it. If, if we're in this high-rise apartment and, and he gives us a generous 12 feet, that means there's going to be over 600,000 stories with square miles for each person, and there are billions of people. There's going to be a ton of people. And let's go back to this transparent gold thing. Have you ever seen transparent gold? I've got a piece right here. Kidding. You have, some of you have gold on your wrist, on your necklace, maybe on your tooth, in your rings, whatever. You've never seen this type of gold before. It is something that is, is going to just blow our minds when we see it. Something that we've never experienced. Something that we've never, never seen or, or felt before. And you're like, yes, yeah, I mean, that's kind of hard to believe. 
But, but think about this. Think about the nicest homes that you've seen, you know, whether you've, you've been around the world or what. It's specifically with these oil guys in the Middle East where they're not pouring concrete for their foundation. They're pouring gold. And their houses are just decorated with all kinds of jewels and diamonds. And it's just incredible. And if man, humans, can think of this, what, a, what could a creator God think of and decorate with this new city? It is going to be perfect. And we get to see it. We get to feel it. We get to hear it. We get to, to smell and taste these things. This is our home. It's going to be incredible. So the, the obvious question is, okay, well, what are we going to do when we get there? It sounds awesome, but we're just going to sightsee the whole time? Like, oh, wow, look at that. We've got stuff to do. And the first word I'm going to tell you is this. It's we're going to worship. And we're not going to go to a worship service. It's going to be worshiping all the time. Now, when I say that, you're looking at me like, okay, let me get this straight. We're going to be in church all the time, forever, with no night and no breaks. I don't want to be rude, but that sounds like hell to me. What does, that, that's, honestly, that's because we don't understand what worship is. Worship is reflecting God in everything that we do. So when we're eating, we're worshiping God. When we're drinking, we're worshiping God. When we're walking and talking, we're worshiping God. Our life just reflects God. So it is a constant worship experience. And again, we, we think that, you know, we, it's, it's hard for us to understand that because we're so finite, but we are going to be infinite now. And we are going to be experiencing God on a level that we never thought possible. And as eternity kind of unfolds and rolls out, we're learning more and more about God. And again, we're just open, jaw just going, he is so incredible. And we will do that for eternity because there is so much to know and learn about God. And John describes another thing that we're going to be doing. He says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. Talking about sin, okay? For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and his servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun. For the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. Now two words pop out in, in that verse right there. Serve and reign. Reigning meaning that we're going to rule, that we are going to lead, that we are going to live that out, that we are going to be busy. That means that there's, going, there's going to be organizations, there's going to be systems in place and structures that we are actually working and busy. And you're thinking, well, I, I kind of like the idea of lounging on a cloud forever. That's because you, you may either hate your job or you had a job that, you, that you've hated before. And why do you hate work sometimes? Because maybe you're tired, maybe you're unfulfilled, you're not passionate about it, the pay is awful, and you just think, I'm getting no fulfillment out of this. When God gives you a job, he knows exactly what you love, what you're passionate about, and you are going to love working in God's new earth. You are going to love doing the things, you're gonna have passion for it and mission, and there's a lot of work to do. So we're going to be serving God in ways that is so fulfilling for us. Again, we never thought possible. And Jesus says this next. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people 
according to their deeds. So Jesus is going to come up himself and conduct an audit. He's going to look at our lives, say this suitcase, which is my son's nasty suitcase, has got all the things that we've done. And Jesus is going to open it up and take a look at everything that we've done in our lives. Now, again, we know that God is about grace, that God is about forgiveness, it's about compassion. And the question today isn't who's going to be at the party. The question today is what kind of experience are we going to have at the party? Because there's going to be some there that will probably be full of tears, full of regret, full of missed opportunities of knowing that everybody is celebrating because they poured into this one thing of serving Jesus. And then we look at our suitcase and we're like, uh-oh, I'm not sure about this. And Jesus mentions rewards. So what kind of rewards are we talking about? What, what are the rewards? Basically, they're crowns. And what does a crown represent? A crown represents authority. So this is going to give us the authority to rule and reign with Jesus. Now, there's not going to be a bunch of Christians walking around in heaven with a bunch of crowns like, oh, look how many I got, you know. Because again, the Queen of England doesn't wear her crown all the time, but she's entitled to. She can wear it and it gives her authority to do her queenly prerogatives, which for us, that's a great incentive for how we live life here, that we can achieve and receive these rewards from Jesus himself. So what are they? What are they? The first one is this. First one is the crown of victory. And Paul is, it, how he describes this when he's talking to people in the city of Corinth who was outside of Greece, and, and y'all check this out. You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one, though, that's gold eternally. It's incorruptible. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. Not sloppy li no sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. Now, what is he describing to them? He's describing to them an Olympic athlete. Now, when I think of an Olympic athlete, I think of this guy right here. Complete domination. We have been seeing this dude blow people out of the water for the past 15 or 20 years. And every four years when the Olympics roll around, they tell us all about his daily routine, how much he ate, which is like thousands of calories. I'm like, man, I'd do that too, but I don't look like that, you know. How far did he swim? How much does he run? His social life, how he trains himself so that he gets rewarded in such a way that he's the most decorated Olympic athlete in history because he trained hard. And this crown of victory is for those who discipline themselves in a spiritual sense through prayer, through Bible study, through relational community, through service. You receive this crown that doesn't fade, that it is an eternal crown because of how you've disciplined yourself to learn more and be disciplined for God. Here's a second one. The crown of life. Now, this one is known as the sufferer's crown, okay? And James tells us about this one in the book of James. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
This is for the Christ follower who's been persecuted for their faith. Because they claim the name Jesus, that they serve the name Jesus, they've either been physically abused, verbally abused, emotionally abused, maybe even executed. And so people, and we hear stories like that, you know, on the news. I mean, we just heard the tragic story of, of in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday where all those people were murdered because they claim the name Jesus. And we think, man, this is, this is so not fair. Christians just get the short end of the stick. When, when are we going to get a payback? Your service and your sacrifice is not in vain. You are rewarded with the crown of life. And God says, I know what they did to you. I know what they said to you. And you still kept praising my name. You still claimed my name. Crown of life. The third one is a crown of honor. Now we hear about this one from Peter, who was like the first leader of the church, okay? And this is what he says in 1 Peter. He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. This reward is for those who, who teach others, who take people under their care, under their leadership, and teach them all about the godly life, all about Jesus and who he was, making disciples of them. Not that they just believe, but they actually know how to live for Jesus. And he says, don't, don't use the titles. Titles don't matter, but your example matters. When you are leading people by how you live, man, you will receive the crown of never-ending glory and honor. And the fourth crown is the crown of righteousness. Now, Paul is writing, uh, this is probably the last book that he wrote, and he's writing to a guy that he's mentored for, for quite some time named Timothy. And this is one of the last things that he tells Timothy. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. This is the reward that for those who pursue purity, they pursue good morals, good ethics, that they're not, they're not settling for anything less. They're not asking the question of how far is too far, but instead how pure is too pure. How can I become more holy? How can I become more like God? Because I want to be prepared and ready for when Jesus returns. And I want to live my life in such a way that I want to receive the crown of righteousness. And the last crown that we're talking about today is the crown of rejoicing. Now this crown, Paul is, is writing to a group of believers and he says, he says it like this. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and honor. What he's saying here is like, man, this crown of rejoicing is because we preach the gospel to you so that now you can stand in front of Jesus. Now you are invited to the party. And this crown is rewarded to those who are constantly sharing the good news of Jesus or constantly telling anybody at any opportunity that they can, like, man, let me tell you about Jesus. This is how he's impacted my life. And they're constantly working towards reaching more and more people for Jesus. And, and this is what I love. It's called the crown of rejoicing. Because guess what? A week from today, we're not going to be in this room. We're going to be at Typhoon, Texas, baptizing over 100 people. 
because they have given their lives to Jesus. And they're saying, man, I believe in Jesus and I want everybody to know about it. And it's going to be so incredible when they come out of the water and the eruption of applause that goes. Everybody's just gonna be going nuts just saying, yes, they have given their life to Jesus because somebody told them. Somebody said, you need to hear about this guy, Jesus. You, you don't just need to hear about him, you need to surrender your life to him because it will change your eternity. So all these rewards are available to us. And you think, right, I feel good about a couple of them, but not all of them, okay? How, how do we begin to strive? How do we, how do we start to, to get towards these rewards, being rewarded these things? And the great thing about our God is that he's a God with a plan. He has a strategy. And the greatest gift that he's given us is the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we are changed from the inside out, that this Holy Spirit now, God himself is directing and guiding our lives, and every decision that we make is through the filter of the Holy Spirit, that we are becoming more and more like Jesus because of him himself. And he's given us the church, that we get to participate in local community, spiritual community, that people are coming together saying, yes, I'm with you, life is difficult, but God is still God, and we, we are reminded how big he is and how faithful he is, because God wants to give us as many opportunities as possible so that we can receive these rewards. Because you think he's excited about passing those out? Absolutely. He can't wait to give you a reward. He's not going to be like, well, I guess you were good enough. You know, no, he's going to be so excited. Now, we've answered these questions, but I have a question for you as we close out this series. What did you do with your life? And this can be a sobering question because the, the big question too is, what if the judgment was tonight? How, how would we feel about that? Would we be excited? Would we be fired up? Ready to give some high fives for people and just receiving our rewards? Or would we be terrorized? Would we be experiencing a little trauma, maybe even some tears because of missed opportunities to do the one thing that God has set out for us, which is to further his kingdom. Here's the great thing. It's never too late to start. You don't, you don't have to, to just be miserable and regret, regretting like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get any of those. It's never too late to start. And I think the first step is admitting that what we really want is what God has. We want the fame. We want to be the center of attention. We want to be in control. And I think that first step is just saying, you know what? I do feel that way. I feel that way at times and, and I, I want control and I, and I want to just make everything happen for me and, and this and that. But, but I don't want to be sad at the party. I don't want to be disappointed at the party. No, I, I want to celebrate at the party. I, I need to be broken of that, God. And you're just telling God, man, I'm sorry. I do want to be like you sometimes. I want what you have sometimes. Can you break that in my spirit so that my life revolves around you, that I exist for you, that I work hard for your gain, not my own? Because imagine, imagine on that day when you're looking at Jesus and it's just you two and he's looking in, in, at your life and he's saying, 
I saw what you did for me. I saw what you, what you had to sacrifice. I saw how you raised your family in my name. I saw you serving when, when nobody was looking. I saw what you gave when you couldn't afford it. And I saw what they did to you and how you fought for forgiveness every moment that you had to. I saw it. And then he looks at you and he just smiles and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to the party. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for being such a detailed God, a God who is creating a palace for your children, your, your princes and princesses, God, your royal family, that we get to enjoy you, your presence, along with all the fun, beautiful things that you're creating for us, all the sights, the sounds, the tastes, the community, God. You are incredible, Jesus. Thank you for the rewards, God. I, I, I pray in my life and everybody in this room, God, that we would look at eternity through the light, that we aren't just trying to gain rewards for ourselves because, God, ultimately we're going to throw them down at your feet because you're the only reason we're able to achieve any of that. But, God, that our world would revolve around you, that our existence would be for you and you only. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that we can be a part of that party. And God, I pray it is the best party that we ever experienced. Jesus, thank you for all the mothers in the room and the sacrifices that they give and how they love and how they show us what your love looks like. God, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.